couldn't help but think about uh, a couple of different scriptures. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There's another verse of scripture that says, There is a way which seemeth right unto a man. He said, But at the end of those ways are the ways of death. And uh, I thought years ago, Am I in the way or am I just in the way? And uh, we certainly don't want to be in the way for God. We want to be in the way for God. And that makes no sense to hear it listened to just exactly like that if you don't know the scriptures. But uh, there is a way which seems right. The end of those ways are death. But there's only one way to heaven, and that's the way we want to be found in tonight and the way that we want to be walking in and living in. And I hope and trust that each one of us have that desire this evening. If you have your Bibles, John chapter number 2 this evening. John chapter number 2. Unless some great miracle happens, we'll finish up chapter number 2 this evening. And I'll be looking toward chapter number 3 and that great conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. It's been no secret that I am a sports fan. And... Uh, I do not want to be and do not want us to be tonight like what many sports teams will say, and that's miss what's in front of us, not be prepared for what's in front of us, looking forward to John 3. We've got just about two or three verses tonight that I want to try to preach that I've never preached from in my entire ministry, and I was thinking today, I do not believe that I have ever heard anyone else preach from these verses. That is not to say that they haven't. Um, but I've never heard anyone preach these verses. So look with me in verse number 23. The Bible said, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover and the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men and needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. That is the text tonight. That is what follows what we read and preached from last week uh, concerning Jesus cleansing the temple and the zeal uh, that he had to purify the temple. We said that uh, it was important to understand uh, God's hatred for sin and his expectation of purity and worship uh, when he came into the temple. He expected it to be right, and he did not find it that way. Thus, he overturned the tables, threw out the money changers, took a cord, and, and uh, just really, really showed a side of God that many people are uncomfortable with knowing, a side of God that many people will almost deny that exists. They say he is a loving God, and he is, and a caring God, and he is. Peter said we could cast all of our cares upon him, for he careth for us. So he is all of those things, but we said last week he is also a God of judgment, and he is a God uh, that has expectations of purity, of holiness, and expectations of right worship. Tonight, as we finish the chapter and again, head toward uh, that famous story of Nicodemus. I want us to look at this text and the, uh, the setting uh, where we're at. The text in itself tells us that. Jesus is still in Jerusalem. 
It is the Passover and the feast day, and uh, this would be the feast of unleavened bread. Uh, During this time, Jesus would perform many miracles that are not recorded in the Word of God. John chapter number 20 and uh, verse number 30, as well as John 21 and verse 25, both tell us that Jesus performed many miracles and many works that were not written in the book, that were not recorded. And uh, so there's many things that Christ did uh, that we don't even know about, that never got recorded. And I don't know what some of those miracles might have been. Uh, We read about blinded eyes open. We read about the lame made to walk, the withered hand healed, uh, the dead raised, the sick uh, healed. We've read of all those things. Uh, But the Bible said clearly uh, that he performed many miracles that were not recorded. Uh, The latter part of verse 23 says that many believed in his name uh, when they saw the miracles which he did. It brings me to the thought of what I want to preach on tonight, and that is a faith based on signs. Preaching tonight about a faith based on signs and miracles And uh, that is what we are reading about in the text or what we have read about. Uh, The Bible said all of these things had happened. He had cleansed the temple. Uh, Listen, he had talked about the resurrection in verses 19 through 22. And in verse 23, uh, the Bible tells us that because of those miracles, when they saw uh, the miracles which they did, uh, they believed in his name. I was reading by John Phillips while studying this a portion of the text, and uh, uh, John Phillips made reference to uh, what he called in a question he asked about what is the foundation of our faith? What is uh, the foundation of what we say that we believe? And uh, when I come to verses such as this, uh, especially on a Wednesday night, my mind wants to question uh, why would the Lord have us to preach on this subject on a Wednesday night? Well, first of all, I'm preaching on it because it is uh, the next verses in chapter 2 that I haven't preached on. Uh, But the second reason is, and the main reason, is because I do not know the hearts of people. I do not know uh, where people stand with God. That is uh, between you and Him. And it is my job to preach uh, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what is this foundation of our faith? These uh, that we've read about in our text tonight... Uh, believed Christ to be some sort of prophet. Uh, They believed that he could even be a conquering Messiah, but they believed, if they believed he was the Messiah, they believed him uh, to be that political Messiah, that governmental Messiah that would come and uh, rescue the nation politically and uh, did not view him as a spiritual uh, Messiah. The foundation uh, in which these folks that we're reading about tonight I believed on their foundation uh, was in miracles. Uh, this produces a shallow and superficial faith if our faith is in miracles and signs. The greatest uh, example that I could give you in our day, uh, we do not necessarily see the miracles of God in the blind seeing and the dead raised and all of those things. And our minds would say, well, if I saw those things, I would certainly believe God and I would trust Him. In our day, we see this happen 
at a lot of meetings when someone goes to the altar and then the one beside them is moved emotionally and they go also and then another one moves and another one goes also and and uh, they believe in that moment based on what they are seeing and based on what they are feeling but they do not believe uh, uh, on the man Christ Jesus. They are uh, believing in the miracles. They are believing in the works. They are believing in what they can see, what they can feel what they can hear, but yet they are not believing in the person of Christ Jesus. Now, if our text proves anything tonight, it proves that not everybody that walks an aisle gets born again. If it proves anything, it proves to us that not everyone that says they are a believer is saved. That is not tonight. The scriptures are not here to put doubt in our minds or to make us question the God that we serve, but it is just simply to let us know that we cannot base our faith on miracles. We cannot base our faith on signs. We cannot base our faith on feeling tonight. But we must rest in the finished work of Christ, whether we feel like it, or whether we see a sign, whether we watch a miracle, whether we hear something magnificent or not, our faith must be based on the finished work of Calvary. Anything other than that is shallow and superficial. I remember... I remember one time when my dad, and I'm not going to be ugly toward my dad, but I do remember one time when he was in church and I had just surrendered to preach and I asked my dad a question about scripture. He was, he had been saved much longer than I had according to his profession. And I asked him a question about scripture and the answer that came back from him was like talking to a kindergartner uh, when it comes to his understanding of the scripture. And it seems to me that that is what is being produced uh, in many churches today. Uh, uh, they're having people believe uh, on things rather than on him. Uh, and they're producing a shallow, uh, superficial faith uh, that is not based on the work of Calvary. It is not based on the true gospel of the Bible. It is based uh, on a man-made system of doing things uh, that has destroyed the churches of our day. That is where we are. Shallow, superficial faith. And it is evidenced in many cases when you go to someone that has been saved for 50 years according to their testimony and you have a spiritual conversation and you still feel like you're talking to a toddler in Christ. It is shallow. It is superficial. These miracles in which their faith were based did not settle or satisfy it is a foundation that is always looking for the next miracle. They are always looking for the next sign. It is not based on the man, but it is based on everything that they can see and touch and handle and feel physically. I have heard much about many different meetings that have taken place. And I've heard people say, man, you could just feel it when you walked on the grounds. 
heard that said many times. I could just feel something different when I walked here. Or when I came in the door, I just felt something different. My question would be to those folks, is your faith deep enough in Christ that the day ever comes when you walk in the door and you don't feel anything, uh, that you still say God is good, uh, that you still understand He is present, uh, and that you still know He's seated on the throne uh, because it's not based on what we feel, uh, but rather on what we know. But these Folks in our text very much are looking for the next miracle. They're looking for the next sign. My, another question I have often concerning folks to me that fit the bill of our text is where do they go after professing salvation in Christ? Now, some would say that is the church's fault for not discipling and there is a certain amount of the responsibility that the church must shoulder. But I would say unto you uh, that when Christ truly births someone into the family of God, uh, there comes a desire with that at birth to be in the house of God and to be around the people of God. When I got saved, I did not have to have someone to prod me and poke me and beg me and pick me up and take me to the house of God. I wanted to go to church. I wanted to hear preaching. I wanted to hear singing. I wanted to be around the people of God. I no longer had a desire for the filth and the that was in the world but I wanted church and it may be a certain amount of responsibility on the believer to disciple that person that just got born again. But listen, I'll tell you the best way to disciple new birth people and that is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's worth preaching to them while they're in sin. It's worth preaching to them while they're babes in Christ, while they're teenagers in Christ, while they're adults in Christ, while they're elderly in Christ it is the gospel that grows a believer that keeps us from being shallow and superficial and surface Christians the faith does not satisfy it does not have any substance to it. This type of faith, this foundation that is built on miracles and signs, there is no substance. It, 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 uh, there's no depth in, uh, in this, but it always are looking and they're always demanding more. If the revival went four weeks last year, we need it to go six this year. And this type of faith will work to make sure that it happens. 
They will promote and they will gouge. And listen, I'm not saying there is anything wrong with promoting a meeting or pushing uh, anyone preaching the gospel. Uh, but listen to what's important to this type of faith uh, is not the gospel, but rather it is the uh, time period of the meeting or it is the, uh, it is the attention drawn uh, to the place or it is uh, the person that is doing the preaching or it is uh, the town in which they are having the meeting. It is something that is superficial that takes away from the true gospel. He said when he was at Jerusalem, many believed in his name and when they saw the miracles which he did. But watch this. It's always on the surface faith. No depth in his word. Always looking for his work. They're looking for something. They are show me kind of people. Doubting Thomases, if you will. I say to you that when Thomas's eyes were open, you'll never find in the scripture where he touched him. Amen. Thomas said, I will not believe unless I, I thrust my finger in his side and I touch the nail prints in his hand. But once his eyes were open to who Christ really was, it never was about touching him. He simply believed and his response was, my Lord and my God. It was not, I need to touch you. It was not, I need to feel you. It was not about a physical, but it was about a birth that had transpired on the inside of him that changed him and took his mind from a physical realm to a spiritual realm and he left aside any physical that was involved. John Phillips says that this faith is flawed, a faith built on miracles, a faith built on the foundation of signs. John Phillips said is a flawed faith. The reason is simple. While they believed the signs and miracles that's all there was. That was it. The miracles and the signs was it. There was nothing more. There was nothing to hold them up after the miracles had faded and left the mind. As a result, uh, listen, as a result, the Bible says Christ did not commit himself to them. Now this presents a problem to a lot of Baptists because uh, we say if we'll come to him, all we have to do is come and believe and we can be saved. Well, the Bible said here, they believed, but Christ did not commit himself to them. So what does it mean when he says that? Commit and believed are the same Greek word, the same word. The difference in the two words is the tense in which they are used. Believed with an ED on it, means a past action. Something that took place for a moment, but it did not continue. The word commit that is used in our text concerning Jesus is a habitual, continual, over and over and over action. And Jesus did not commit himself habitually to these people. Why? The Bible said because he knew them. 
He knew their hearts. He knew when they walked down the aisle smacking their bubble gum and doing all that they were doing that there was nothing sincere in their profession. He knew their hearts. He understood that once the sign was gone, once the miracle was gone, he knew that they'd be gone with the miracle. They'd roll on with the next traveling gypsies that came by and off they'd go tossed about with every wind of doctrine believing whatever may come their way. And the Bible said that Jesus did not commit himself to them. So, Lord, the words believe and commit, I've already said, the exception is the tense in which it is used. The word believed of the responding to the signs indicates a completed action while the word commit is a habitual, continual action. They believed, but they had no continuing faith in those miracles. One writer said he had no faith in their faith. Christ had no faith in their faith. And so therefore, he did not commit himself to them. The knowledge of who he is and what he can do uh, does not constitute saving faith. Just because someone tells you they know Jesus and just because they are familiar with his life and familiar with his miracles and familiar with his signs and familiar with his baptism and familiar with some verses in the scripture does not mean they're born again. Even if they had some sort of experience in the altar, it does not necessarily mean that Christ committed himself to them. Why? Because what they did in an altar could be based on false pretenses. Could be based on a feeling. It could be based on a friend who moved. It could be based on a wooing from a preacher when God was not even close. It could be based on many things. We have no way of knowing who God has committed himself to of those that say they believe. Y'all all right? This type of preaching scares me just a little bit. Just to be honest, James chapter 2 and verse 19 says, Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. He said, The devils also believe and tremble. And know this, there ain't going to be no devils in heaven. Just because you believe in God... And you believe that Jesus is the Son of God does not mean that Christ has committed himself to your faith. Because your faith may be based on a foundation that is faulty. If your faith is not based on Christ and the gospel, then your faith is flawed. It is faulty tonight and it must rest in his finished work. There's no doubt many people have rested their faith in church and uh, charter membership of a church. They've rested their faith on having taught Sunday school for the last 
52 years they have rested their faith on the fact that they've sung in the choir. They've rested their faith on their tithing record. They have rested their faith uh, on something that took place emotionally at a funeral service or at a, at a meeting somewhere. And the reality is they have never rested their faith uh, in the finished work of Christ uh, and their faith is flawed. That's the text I'm preaching tonight. They believed on him because of the miracles, but Christ would not commit himself to them. Why? Because he knew all men. If you look in your King James Bible, the word men is in italics. And uh, I don't know a lot about, I don't know a lot about uh, manuscript evidence, but I do know that if it's in italics in your Bible, it was not part of the original manuscript in which the translators translated our King James Bible from. Which means that the text would have read in English like this. It would have said, uh, when they, uh, it would have said, uh, well, where'd it go? Men, right there it is. But Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all. He is an omniscient God. He is a God that lacks knowledge anywhere. He knows all things at all times. He knows all hearts. He knows all intention. He knows what you're thinking when you're thinking it. He knows whether what you're saying is truth or lies. He knows all. And when these men and women stood before him saying they believed, he did not have faith in their faith because he knew all. He knew all. Do you know that the Lord Jesus Christ has known every member of every church that has served and died and went to hell? Because he knew the foundation of which their faith was built on and it was not on him. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. There's nothing else in this world or in any world that's worth building a faith on outside of the shed blood of our darling Savior. Saving faith puts the man, not the miracle, as the foundation of his faith. If he performs miracles or not, he'll still believe. If God ever does anything for him or not, he'll still believe. If God doesn't heal his cancer, he'll still sing amazing grace. How sweet the sound. If God don't touch his mama, he'll walk on and say, God is still good. He'll not go around saying, I'm mad at God right now because he took so and so. He won't walk around saying, I'm mad at the Lord because he didn't fix this situation. If his faith is built on the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ, he'll say things aren't all always easy but God's still God and one of these days it's all going to be over with one of these days I'll suffer no more one of these days death will be gone and I'll live forever in eternity with him and none of this matters a faith that is built on the right foundation 
can endure the attacks of Satan and not quit. Amen. I've pastored just long enough to know that if I could quit, I would. Amen. That's the honest truth. You fellas have been deacons long enough to know if you could quit, you would. Amen. You'd just quit and say it's not worth You've led the choir long enough to know that if you could quit, you would. Amen. That's right. And, and uh, you've been on the building committee long enough to know that if you could quit serving God, you'd just quit. Why? Because we're no different than the children of Israel wandering in the wilderness. We're full of murmuring uh, and complaining and griping uh, and finger pointing and everything else in the world. And if it were possible, uh, the Bible said that Satan uh, would deceive the very elect of God. Uh, he would draw us away. He would push us to the side. But aren't you glad he said if it were possible it is not possible to deceive the elect of God it is not possible to move us away from the foundation of our faith if our faith is built on Christ I'm trying to tighten it listen Saving faith puts man and not the miracle as the foundation. Why would Christ not commit? He knew them. Let me give you the doctrine that is found in these four verses. It is the deity of Christ. We've been talking about that for several verses now. His Godhead, His Lordship, His all-knowingness. It is His deity that is found. He knew all. That's why he would not commit. The word knew that here is in the text. He, he knew when he saw the miracles and Jesus said in verse 24, he did not commit himself because he knew all men. Verse 25 says he knew what was in man. The word know is to know whether the action is inceptive or complete and settled. The word inceptive means he perceived or uh, he marked or he discerned. He knew if a good work had begun in them, it holds the idea of a beginning. He knew that if a good work had really begun in them, that he would complete it even until the day of Christ. But he knew nothing good had started in these folk. And he did not commit himself to their faith. What we're looking at tonight is the difference in living faith and dead faith. James said in chapter 2, verse 17, Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead. Being alone. It goes hand in hand. The man says he believes the miracles and the signs of Christ. And uh, he's telling everybody he's saved. He ought to demonstrate some of that faith in the way he works and the way he lives. If he's not demonstrating any of that, even after he said he's believed, then you can rest assured that he probably never had anything started in him either. That God ain't the one that started it and initiated it, but it was a feeling or a sign or a miracle that moved that person. I said, Preacher, is this, is this relevant to our day? Oh, yes. Oh, yes, it's relevant. Folks are moving at anything 
to be able to say that they are Christian. They are moving at any doctrine that swings itself by to make themselves feel better about the foolish life that they are living outside the walls of the church. They are moving to grasp hold of any feel-good something that will satisfy them one time a week until they can get back the next time. In some cases, it's not even once a week. It's once every six months or every holiday or once a year. And it satisfies. Let me just use, let me just use mass, for example. They throw that under the Christian genre and they say they are Christian. And uh, they confess their sins uh, at mass to a father. And the old independent crowd would say, a father that dresses like mother and blah, 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 and all of that stuff. I don't know all about it. But the reality is they confess their sins to a man. He tells them a few Hail Marys and everything will be all right. They leave. They go get drunk. They live just like they've always lived. And nothing's ever changed. Foundations built on flesh. Mother Mary, it's built on buildings. They center all of their focus on uh, the elaborate buildings in which they worship. And, and uh, the foundation is built on holy water that ain't no more holy than what comes out of your spout. It's just a foundation that is built on something that is flawed and faulty. Not just to pick on the Catholic, a friend, the Mormon, the Jehovah's Witness, the cults that are around pushing their faith and people are sopping it up like a sponge. The new ecumenical movement that has swept our nation, sopping it up like a sponge. One fellow said it's the Come as you are, leave as you were movement. And that's probably accurate. And it's not accurate so much. And because of the style of preacher that's in the building, whether he's quiet or loud or spirit-filled, it's because of the lack of gospel preaching that is in the building. It's because we have developed... We have developed this friendly mindset of loving and petting and coddling people and telling them that God does this and God does that. And if you'll come to the altar and cry and say, Lord, forgive me that you'll be saved. And friend, it's just not that way. That absolutely poured a bucket of water on everything. It takes the Holy Ghost of God moving a sinner toward God for him to get born again. Then we can begin to talk about the responsibility of man and repenting and confessing and asking God into his heart and all of those things. But the reality is, unless God moves a man, if flesh moves him, if feeling moves him, if miracles move him, his foundation is wrong. And that's gospel. The difference between the wicked and the righteous, between living faith and dead faith, between well done, thou good and faithful servant, and depart from me, ye that work iniquity. That is the difference in someone that believed 
and someone that commits and Christ commits back to. Chapter number one in verse 47 of the book of John, Jesus saw Nathanael, saw that he was a true seeker and that he was not superficial in his faith and that he was not shallow in what he was looking for. Nathaniel wasn't looking for a sign, and as a result, Jesus said, you're going to see greater things than these, old boy. Just because I saw you sitting under a tree, you believe? He said, you're going to see greater things than this. Jesus saw all things. They simply had an outward attraction to spectacular signs. In our day, men can be drawn by anything. Anything can draw someone to a church. Anything can draw someone to an altar. Listen, when I was ignorant, and still am, but when I was ignorant to how to run a service, Brother Matt, I knew better than to think that I could woo anybody to the work of God in salvation. Amen. You say, preacher, what are you talking about? I'm talking about if the Spirit of God's not moving in a heart, me wooing and having 45-minute altar calls does nothing. You know what's going to happen in a 45-minute altar call? Sooner or later, Brother Dorland's going to get up and come down here and get saved again because he's ready to go home. Amen. The wooing and and all that takes place and the time of restraints on altar calls and invitations. Friend, that's man-made and that's what's wooing people. That's what's wooing people. Now listen, I said this not too long ago. I'm going to give an invitation every time I preach if the Lord will let me. The only problem that I really have with it is it's not in the Bible. Nobody ever gave an altar call in the Bible. People just got saved wherever they were and however the Lord directed that. A lot of the things that we practice in our modern churches didn't come along to the 1700s, 1800s and we practice them And uh, they're man-made. And if we're building our foundation on things that came along in those years, our foundation is built on the wrong thing. They simply had outward attraction. They can be drawn by the personality of the speaker. They can be drawn by certain events at the church. Uh, They can be uh, drawn by friendships, whatever it may be. It could lead them to a superficial faith and not real faith. Saving faith. That is why that we as a church have to be settled and grounded in the true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because I don't think any of us want to be responsible for misleading any soul into a false profession of any kind based on a feeling and not a fact. There's three accounts in this last little story that I've read to you, dating back to verse number 18, where the Jews begin to ask about the signs and the miracles. They said, what signs showest thou unto us, seeing thou doest these things? Jesus answered, destroy this temple, in three days I will raise it up. He began to talk about the resurrection. Three things that takes place, even, even going back a little further into verse number 12. The first thing that took place was the cleansing of the temple, which displays God's hatred for sin and impurity in his house. His hatred for that. The discussion of the resurrection is going to point us 
Now that we have viewed uh, the destruction of the temple and God's hatred for sin and impurity, his talk of the resurrection demonstrates that God still has a love for sinners and that God provides new life in Christ. But these verses I've read to you tonight will display the shallow belief of people and it reveals that God's provision of salvation comes only through genuine saving faith in Christ and not in his miracles. Now, with all that said, let me say this. He did use some of his miracles to cause people to believe. Why did he do that? Because he knew all. Some of the people, some of the people that saw these miracles probably got the goods because they weren't looking at the miracle, they were looking at the man. But some of them didn't get it. And your Bible says they believed. But that word believed means they only believed for a short period of time. They did not continue the action. And Christ would not commit himself unto those people. Tonight, I, I guess I just wonder in our hearts, what is our foundation built on? I do not know the heart of every person in this building, and I would not dare to even try to begin to say, well, I think he's saved, and she's saved, and he's saved, and she's saved, and he's not, and she's... That's not my job. It's not my job. That relieves a great deal of stress to know that's not my job. Brother Bagel, when he was here in April, told us that God viewed... Uh, people as saints, his people as saints. And uh, we said not long after that, if, uh, if somebody joined the church, they had to join that church by professing that they have made a decision for the Lord Jesus Christ in salvation. And therefore, what I'm looking at tonight should be the saints of God. But I don't know that. Nobody does but you and God. And tonight, I would simply say, what is your foundation built on? Is it built on miracles? Is it built on heritage and history? Is it built, uh, is it built on uh, the, the excitement of a certain person or that you got saved under a certain preacher? What is it built on? The fellow that I got saved under preaching ain't even preaching anymore. Gosh, I'm, maybe I ain't even saved. If I say, is that right? No, that ain't right. Because I didn't put my trust in that man preaching. I put my trust in the man that he was preaching about. I didn't put my trust in, in a man. I put my trust, well, I did put my trust, but in the God-man, Christ Jesus is where my trust is. Man's not preaching anymore. And his wife split. She went one way, he went another. His uh, his kids are, uh, one of his kids are preaching now and he's got grandkids all over the place and, and, uh, but he's living a very different life now than what he lived when I got born again. That night he was preaching the mountain down up under the pine trees and zigzagging in and out of tombstones the night I got saved. Now he's not. There's a lot of folks put a lot of trust in who was preaching when they got saved. Let's not do that. 
Let's put our trust in the man they were preaching about. Now listen, if they were preaching about themselves, which happens a lot in our day, then your trust might still be in the man he was preaching about. But if he was preaching Jesus, that's where your trust ought to be. That's where your faith ought to be. Let's stand to our feet tonight. I'm done. Page 71 in your hymn book if you need it. If you need to pray about anything tonight, the altar's open, saved or lost, you can come and pray. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Sing a little more then, I like it. When darkness seems to hide his face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. I appreciate your attention tonight. Thank you for being in the Lord's house. I hope and trust that each one of you uh, that have made your way here tonight. We'll leave, have a good rest of the week. And uh, me and Brother Danny was talking earlier about, he said, well, he thought maybe we ought to have church on Tuesday nights. He said, because Tuesday he's looking for church again. I said, well, by Thursday you'll wish we'd have still had it on Wednesday. We'd have to have it twice a week to get you back to Sunday. So, But I hope this will get you through the rest of the week and maybe be a help and encouragement to you.